0: Our scripture this morning is found in Esther chapter 7. Obviously, as we have uh, throughout our studies of these books, we will read the entire chapter this morning. You know, all of us understand that, you know, when when Angie and I first came here, uh, the the land over there where where we're going to build our new fellowship hall. By the way, we haven't talked about that in a long time. Y'all need to pray about what God would have you to give. Uh, we we need to get moving on that on that rascal. We we, uh, yeah. We just need to get moving on that. So y'all pray what God would have you to give. Uh, I know that, that y'all are and and you know y'all are saying, well, listen, preacher, you don't know taxes are coming up. Well, I have to pay too. All right. So y'all pray what God would have you to give for that building. But anyway, when Angie and I first came out here, that was a, a backer field. And, and Squeak and Ethel would sow tobacco. And you know, not once did I hear Squeak say to me, I expect a good crop of corn this uh, this fall. He expected to reap what he sowed. And beloved, that's a biblical principle. We will reap what we sow. This morning we see Haman is reaping exactly what. What he sowed. And we're going to look at that throughout uh, uh, this chapter in Esther and throughout some other books uh, or some other passages in the Bible as well. Esther, chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. And in honor of the reading of God's word, let's stand. Now the king and Haman came to drink wine with Esther, the queen. And the king said to Esther on the second day also, as they drank their wine at the banquet, What is your petition, Queen Esther? It shall be granted you. And what is your request? Even to half of the kingdom it shall be done. Then Queen Esther replied, If I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it pleases the king, let my life be given me as my petition and my people as my request. For we have been sold. I and my people to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. Now, If we had only been sold as slaves, men and women, I would have remained silent. For the trouble would not be commensurate with the annoyance to the king. Then King Ahasuerus asked Queen Esther, Who is he and where is he? Who would presume to do this? Esther said, A foe and an enemy is this wicked Haman. Then Haman became terrified before the king and queen. The king arose in his anger from drinking wine and went into the palace garden. But Haman stayed to beg for his life from Queen Esther for he saw that harm had been determined against him by the king. Now, when the king returned from the palace garden into the place where they were drinking wine, Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was. Then the king said, Will he even assault the queen with me in the house? As the word went out of the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. Then Harbona, one of the eunuchs who were before the king, said, Behold, indeed, the gallows standing in Haman's house, fifty cubits high, which Haman made for Mordecai, who spoke good on behalf of the king. And the king said, Hang him on it. So they hanged Haman on the gallows, which he had prepared for Mordecai, and the king's anger subsided. Let us pray. Father God, we love you so much, and we thank you for the reading of your perfect and infallible word in our midst this morning. God, we just ask that as you illumine the heart and mind of the author of Esther, that you would illumine our hearts and minds this morning as well. God, we love you with all of our soul. We, we want to, to sow goodness. We want to sow righteousness. We want to sow eternal life into our life and the lives of all of those around us. God we love you with all of our soul. We tra- trust you with all of our heart. We offer to you our love. Our lives and this prayer. In and through the name of our risen Lord and Master. Jesus who is the Christ. Amen. Thank you you may be seated. You know. We've talked about this, this, this principle of reciprocity. There's a big fancy word to talk about. That you're going to reap what you sow. In Galatians. 6, verses 7 through 9. Paul lays it out for us this way. He says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also root. Now see, Paul is putting it... I I mean, he's just making it explicit. He he wants you to hear it. Okay? Have you ever been in, in that situation where, you know, maybe somebody's been beating around the bush or, or they, they've kind of been given to you the principle, and, and you, they want to make sure, okay? They want to make sure that you have absolutely no question in your mind what is being said. And so Paul is saying, whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. Now, Paul is a Jew. He's been raised in the way that he reads Scripture. Is, is that the, uh, the the Old Testament, a lot of it is written as poetry. We don't necessarily see it as poetry in, in, in our minds. You know, listen, I remember when I was a little boy. Y'all remember when the English teacher wanted you to write a poem? Well, honey, if I was a poet, I wouldn't be taking your class. Am I right? Okay. If, if I was a poet, I wouldn't need to take your class. A- and for me, a poem has to rhyme. Don't ask me to write a poem. It doesn't rhyme. All right? I can't do it. I can't write one that does rhyme. But but anyway, that's a whole other thing. But in Hebrew, the way they write in Hebrew, they have what's called parallelism. And so they will state something once, and then they'll state it a slightly different way again so that the point, you can't miss the point. Paul says, whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. Where has he said that before? The wages of sin is death. Paul wants us to understand that if you sow sin, you're going to reap death. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. See, beloved, well, that's the whole gospel right there. That listen, if if you will invest your life, if you will invest everything that you do into sowing into the Spirit, then you are going to from the Spirit reap eternal life. Isn't that an amazing principle? You know, it'd take a highly trained theologian to make that complicated. That's as simple the youngest person in the room can understand it. That if we will sow to the Spirit of God. Now, listen, I know we're Baptists and we're terrified of the Holy Spirit. We think He's going to make us raise a hand. Or we think that, heaven forbid, He's going to make us go tell somebody about Jesus. But if we will sow to the Spirit... We will reap from the Spirit eternal life. Biblical principle, beloved. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you are genuinely converted, you have the Holy Spirit. If you do not have the Holy Spirit in your life, you are not a Christian. That's not Larry's opinion. That's the Bible. Now, I can grieve the Spirit. And some of us think that, that grieving the Spirit would be to, to lie or to murder or to cheat. Or, You know you can grieve the Spirit by not telling your best friend about Jesus? Anyway, Paul says, let us not lose heart in doing good. For in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. How many of y'all have ever tried to minister to somebody that you almost had to force your ministry on them? Y'all know what I'm talking about, don't you? Somebody that you started ministering to them and then they started taking it for for granted and started taking advantage of you. Or they came to the point where you'd taken them to town once because their ox was in the ditch and you wanted to help them. And now every time they want to go to town, they're they're ringing you up. Can you take me into town? What do you need? Well, I need to go get a box of Cracker Jacks. Paul says, do not grow weary in doing good. Boy, that's hard, isn't it? It's hard sometimes. But Paul is telling the Galatians that they're going to reap what they sow. Jesus in Luke 6.38 put it this way. He said, give and it will be given to you. You know why so many Christians are broke? Because they're not tithing. Okay, Y'all didn't know I'd sneak in a message about tithing on the first Sunday of the new year, did you? Listen, beloved. Give and it will be given to you. I don't know how you feel about Chick-fil-A. They're making an awful good chicken sandwich. But the reason that that business has prospered is because Truett Cathy committed when he began that business to give back to God. To give back to God. And, and you know what that man learned? He learned he can't out-give God. He can earn more money in six days than anybody else can earn in seven. Give, and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. Do you see that principle in what we just read in Esther 7? Haman sowed hatred for Mordecai. And what he, what he wanted is he wanted Mordecai dead. And what he ended up with was himself dead. He got what he sowed. He sowed hatred and he got hatred back. Do you think that Ahasuerus the king had anything good to say about Haman when he walked into the room and found him up there on the couch with Esther. Don't don't you allow that chap to him raw? And if, don't you think that if he'd been armed, there wouldn't have been any gallows involved? All right? He, he, he'd have took care of it right there. Beloved, sowing and reaping is the lesson of our text this morning. And what we're going to see this morning is that all sin will be exposed by God and there is no escape from God's judgment. Verses 1 through 6. So, you know, here we are in in the beginning of chapter 7. Here's this second banquet that Esther has given for the king and for Haman. Now, you can interpret uh, this however you want to. It says, but the king said to Esther on the second day, verse 2. Now, it tells us in verse 1 that they came to drink wine with Esther today. So I don't know whether they've been drinking for two days or not. I mean, if they've been drinking for two days, they're lit. Okay. But the king, you know, Angie and I will we'll do this with one when, when, when Angie and I first got married, I've got a cannonball core that I found uh, on my aunt's property from the Civil War. Okay, It's about that big around. It probably came from a four-pound or an eight-pound cannonball. And, and then I've still got a can that, that I used, and Brother Lou uh, used it to a can of Brasso that we were issued in boot camp. It's a metal can. And so when I bought something for Angie for Christmas, I would put that cannonball cord down in that Bresso can and wrap it up. Number one, I just added a lot of weight to that package. Okay? And then when she'd shake it, it'd go clunk, 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 clunk. She had no idea what was inside of it. Okay? And it'd drive her crazy. And, and, and then what made it even worse is when it came time to open presents, that would usually be the one that would make her open last. Okay? It was the one she wanted open first because it was the one that was on her heart. Esther has done that to Xerxes. She's kind of wrapped this thing up for him and, and said, King, I'm going to tell you, I, I I want something, but I want you to think about it for a while. And Xerxes has been going, well, what in the world could she ask me for? Does she want a new chariot? Does she need a new phone? You know? They didn't have smartphones back then. He's wondering what she wants. And, and finally he said, Esther, what's your petition? Just like I told you before, it'll be granted to you. Even up to half of the kingdom, what is your request? It will be done. It's wearing him out. He doesn't know what it could possibly be that she wants. Esther now has the opening she's been waiting for. I said Esther now has the waiting that or the opening she's been waiting for. See we've said that in, in Esther God's name is never mentioned in the entire book. But what we see throughout the entire book is the providence of God that God is moving all of the events. even these two pagan men, to get them to the point to accomplish what God wants to accomplish, okay? And so, and you'll hear me call this man by two names, Ahasuerus or Xerxes. It's the same guy, okay? He goes by two different names. But Xerxes is now at the place where Esther wants him to be, actually where God wants him to be. Okay. He's got a heart. It's, it, 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 the tension has built. We have in the room Esther, Xerxes, Haman, Harbona, and whoever might be serving them. So we've got five people in the room. And one would think at this particular juncture that, that it's just the three of them in the room. And so Xerxes is is wanting to know, what do you want? And Esther risks her life and says in verse 3, If I have found favor in your sight, O king. Notice she doesn't address him by his name. She addresses him by his title. And if it pleases the king, let my life be given me as my petition and my people is my request. Now the king is going. I know I'm drunk, but I have no idea what this woman's talking about. What's she talking about? Who 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 would possibly be threatening my wife or one of my wives? For we have been sold. And he's, Did I hear her say sold? What is she talking about? I and my people. Now, here's what's really amazing. What she says next in, in, in verse 4 should look real familiar to you because you read it back in chapter 3, verse 13, in the decree that was sent out to all of the provinces announcing what was going to happen. And she says to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. Now, this is typical the way that they would do things in the Middle East. She says, if we'd only been sold as slaves, no big deal. I wouldn't be here today. It's not as big, you know. I would not bother a man as busy as you are if we were only slaves. You know, we can learn to deal with that. We cannot learn how to deal with being dead. Okay? And then she says... I want you to become involved in this situation. Well, you can imagine. King Ahasuerus is mad. And he says, who is it? Does anybody here understand what a Socratic method of, of teaching somebody something is? Angie and I had a professor at Walter State when we were in computer science that used the Socratic method and it drove me crazy. Because if you went and asked him a question, he wouldn't answer it. He'd ask you a question. You remember that? And and what he was trying to do was to draw the learning out of you, okay? Or to create a situation where you'd have to go read the manual. Mm -hmm. And so what he would do is he would create this situation where he's asked a number of questions that produce other questions in, in, in your mind and draws the learning out. And so that's where we're at right now. Now Socrates hadn't been born yet. But but we have this kind of Socratic method going on here. And, and Ahasuerus asks us the, a number of questions. He says, who is he? That's really important. Who's done this? Where is he? And who would presume to do this? Who would dare to think about lifting his hand against one of my favorite wives? Well, the trap is set. Esther has Xerxes and Haman right where she wants them. Actually, God has them right where he wants them. See, Haman in calculating to, to, to go after this man that he really hated never imagined in his mind that one of the king's favorite wives was a Jew. And that by attacking his enemy, he was attacking the king's wife. Now, all of us were either born in East Tennessee or we've lived here long enough to know, that if we're going to say something about somebody, you know, if you just met some fella named John Doe, or if you're talking to somebody, or you're going to say how John Doe is, is something or another, Then, and you meet somebody you say, do you know John Doe from, from Newport? You know the reason for asking that in East Tennessee, right? He, John Doe could be the person you're talking to's first cousin. And if you're getting ready to talk smack about him, it may not go well with you. And you say, well, yeah, John's my first cousin. Then you say, well, that's the finest fellow I've ever met in my life. Yeah. Then they might say, well, must not have been my cousin because he's a scallywag. Yeah. Then you can talk about the smack that you were going to. But anyway, the point that I'm trying to make is that Haman got locked in on this man that he hated. And he miscalculated how extensive his plot was going to be. All he saw was that Mordecai was a Jew, had been captured by the king's armies, and had been sent here in exile, and it never entered into his equation that Esther just happened to be this man's niece. And so Esther then... Don't you imagine? Don't you imagine Esther's heart was beating 100 miles an hour? Because she doesn't know how this is going to go, and she looks. I, I just got to imagine that she caught the Haman's eye, and then she turned and looked directly into Haman's eye, and said, "A foe in an enemy is this wicked Haman." And then can't you, ima- can't you imagine? Haman, Haman's already had a pretty bad 24 hours, hadn't he? <laughs> okay. He gets invited to the palace, and, and you know he thinks, Whew, "I am all that in a bag of chips. I got invited to the palace to have a meal with the king by the queen herself." And he thinks, "Boy, I am. I am just high and mighty." And then he finds out that his avowed enemy he has to honor and lead him around in town going, Hail to the to this guy that saved the king's life. And then Esther still hadn't revealed everything that's going on. And so the king says, Well, I tell you what, y'all come back. Haman, you come back tomorrow and, and she'll tell us what it is. Well, in the in-between, the in we saw it the last time we were in Esther. His wife and his friends said, but when you go to, when you go to the king's house you best say uh, goodbye to us because you probably ain't coming back you, you need to you need to get right with whatever God it is that you worship because you're probably not coming back they said in, in, in 613 uh, you will not overcome him but will surely fall before him and so here's Haman. i got to imagine that it's just him, Esther, the king, and maybe Harbona in the room at this point. And Haman probably turned as, as white as a sheet because he recognized it's not going to go well with me. And just as Haman's evil was exposed, so will all sin be exposed. Jesus said in Luke 12 too, look at this. Mine just go dead. Oh, there it is. There is nothing covered up that will not be written Now, Listen, beloved. Stewing that for a couple of minutes. There are sins in our hearts that we think nobody knows. It's not what Jesus said. Jesus said there is nothing covered up that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. All sin will be dealt with eventually. Paul in 1 Corinthians 4-5 told the Corinthians this, Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts. Doesn't that fly all over you? How many of y'all have ever done the right thing for the wrong reason? Now I'm getting on people's toes, aren't I? Every one of us have done the right thing for the wrong reason. And Paul says that there's going to come a time when the motives are going to be disclosed. How do you fix that? It goes all the way back to the verse that we started with, with the Holy Spirit. We need to get right with the Holy Spirit. We need to give the Holy Spirit free reign in our lives. And then Paul concludes by saying, and then each man's praise will come to him from God. What is it? What's the first thing we want to hear when we get to heaven? Everybody, let's say it together. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Isn't that what we want to hear? If if we'll live out the kind of life that Paul is telling us, the kind of life that Haman's life points us away from, then then we're going to hear that. One other verse in the New Testament and I'll start bringing it in for a landing. Hebrews 4.13 There is no creature... Hidden from his sight. Okay, wait a minute. Y'all know that there are living bacteria inside your stomach. If there weren't, you'd be dead. None of those bacteria are hidden from his sight. But all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Beloved, sometimes we think that we can hide things from God. Or we think that a little fig leaf will stand between us and the sin that we just committed. Oh, beloved, there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. All right, real quick. I don't need to summarize. the I mean, these verses that we just read in Esther are, are, are... they're not pretty self-explanatory. They're absolutely self-explanatory. We know exactly what happened, and all of us know that Haman is simply sowing what he's reaping. He found his end on the same interest, instrument he intended for the death of Mordecai. He was caught in his own trap against Mordecai. Psalm seven, ver- yeah, Psalm seven, verses fourteen through sixteen tell us that behold, he travails with wickedness and he conceives mischief and brings forth falsehood. He has dug a pit and hollowed it out and has fallen into the hole which he made. His mischief will return upon his own head and his violence will descend upon his own page. Listen, beloved, Jesus said kill him with kindness, didn't he? Jesus said kill them with kindness. Paul told us in Romans to pray for those that persecute us because when we do, we are heaping coals of, of, of burning fire upon their head. Now, listen, I understand, beloved, that it is hard to pray for somebody that's messing with you. It is hard to pray for those that are hurting you. It is hard. Listen, I've got to believe that at some level Mordecai was praying for Haman. I got to. Because the Bible tells us that Mordecai was a righteous man. Hmm. The greatest example of people misunderstanding exactly what they were doing is when Satan thought that he had won by getting the crowd to crucify Jesus. But the cross turned out to be the instrument of Satan's defeat. Do you understand? The death of a substitute Haman satisfied the wrath of the king. In the case of Mordecai and Haman, it was the guilty dying in place of the innocent. But in the case of Jesus and us, it is a matter of the innocent dying in place of the guilty. Our Lord, beloved has given us certain tasks to accomplish. He has set down certain commands that we're to obey. It's not our flawless motivation. It's not our flawless obedience which achieves God's purposes. Because our words are never free from the taint of sin. God goes beyond our efforts supernaturally intervening so that supernatural events occur. Listen to me, beloved. You want to see supernatural results? Then you invest in supernatural processes. If you go and witness to somebody in your own strength, then you're going to get a result in your own strength. But if you go and witness to somebody in the strength of the Spirit, you're going to see a supernatural result. That's not my opinion. That's the Word of God. God does what we cannot do to bring about His purposes. God uses what we do, doing what we cannot, to achieve His purposes. And so in this new year, beloved, will we sow, will we let the Holy Spirit run loose in our lives, even if it leads us to places that are beyond our comfort zone, Will we let the Holy Spirit do what He wants to do in our lives and sow into the processes, sow into what God is doing so that we can reap supernatural results?